Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot. Julius. He, he scores. scores. He scores. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome into another edition of Pick and Pod. Along with Miles Grossman and Will Talent, I'm Colin Locker and happy to be with you. Guys, it is a cold Wednesday here in the Big Apple. We've got a lot of NBA news to get to. Before we get to any of it, though, Miles, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing well. Lots to talk about. New York Knicks, a top team in the East now. And then on the other side, Ben Simmons is back. So, time to get into that. Yeah, I'm doing great, Colin and Miles. Great to be with you guys on this Wednesday afternoon. Lots of great basketball. And Brooklyn, you know, it's a little shaky of a story. Different story than what we've been accustomed to the last couple of years. But in the big town, in Midtown, actually, the New York Knicks playing some really fun basketball. Big win last night. And that is indeed where we will start. The New York Knicks annihilated the Utah Jazz last night at Madison Square Garden, 118-103. to 103. The Knicks were shorthanded without Julius Randle. Of course, he's out with a right dislocated shoulder. OG Ananobi did not play. That was more of a maintenance thing than anything else. Nevertheless, the New York Knicks emerged victorious. They won their eighth straight game, capped off what was a historic January for the Orange and Blue. We'll get you the facts and figures on that in just a moment. But to run through just some of the stat lines, Dante DiVincenzo was the man of the hour. 33 points, a career high, nine made three-pointers, nine of 15 from range. Jalen Brunson was Jalen Brunson, 29 points, nine assists for him. Precious Achua also put up some really nice numbers, 18 points, five rebounds, put it in assist as well. A great win for the New York Knicks, all things considering. Jazz may be considered a middling team, but still a good team. They may get into the play-in tournament. They may get into the playoffs overall. Knicks held Laurie Markkinen to just 14 points, 5 of 14 from the field. Colin Sexton couldn't overcome Jalen Brunson. Miles, really, you look at this Knicks team, they're doing all the right things. They're overcoming adversity. They're overcoming roster changes. This is exactly where head coach Tom Thibodeau wants his guys to be right now. No doubt about it. I mean, just given how the New York Knicks have looked in the month of January, this is a game that I expected them to roll. Like you said, the Utah Jazz, a bit of a middling team in the West, but I think the key for me is that I got to the opportunity to watch them two nights ago in Brooklyn, and they are on the back end of a road trip. This is a bit of a gassed Utah Jazz team. Had the back-to-back, Brooklyn, then MSG. That's difficult for any team, but... You know, the New York Knicks took care of business against a middling team in the West. And like you said, they've battled injuries in particular. The name of Julius Randle comes up. So, you know, New York Knicks handling business amidst the adversity. And I think, you know, you look at this win streak. I don't think it's going anywhere at this point. They've solidified themselves as a top-tier team in the East. If you look at their roster now, it really is a testament to their depth. Look at Precious Achua. i got to highlight him for a second. I know Dante DiVincenzo had 33 points, and I'll shout him out right now. Obviously, career game for him. And uh, 33 points, the second most points that he's ever scored in any NBA game during his career. So shout out to him. His flowers, absolutely leading scorer last night. Taking the load off of Jalen Brunson as well, who is getting forced all around the court, not allowed to shoot any threes whatsoever because the Jazz were just up 
in his grill the entire time, forced to drive a lot more. Still did well at 28 points, but it was a Dante DiVincenzo night. However, Precious Achua, excellent acquisition at, at the end of the day. Wasn't really going to come to New York and do much. That's what the anticipation was. Randall gets hurt. Achua is forced to play, and he's putting up numbers. 18 points last night. I believe that ties his season high with the Knicks. So, dude, just a great all-around win. Precious Achua, though, I like the role that he's filling, especially in um, a slight absence of Isaiah Hartenstein, who's not playing as many minutes because he's laboring an injury. Precious Achua has stepped up big time as part of this front court tandem that Thibodeau has thrown out there. The win moves the Knicks to third place in the Eastern Conference. They're now one game above the Cleveland Cavaliers in the loss column. More interestingly, though, it moves the Knicks to a 14-2 and record in January. That will be their final record in what has been a very, very long month of January. That's their most wins in a month since going 14-0 and in March of 1994. Just one shy of their most ever when they were 15-3 and in December of 1968. Now that the Knicks are in third place in an East that is very competitive, very packed, but somewhat inexperienced at different regions of the standings, if you will, you can begin to dream about taking on the Celtics, the Sixers, the Bucks of the world. Those are the teams that the Knicks should really be concerned about, Miles. I have some skepticism as it pertains to the Knicks taking on Indiana in a potential first-round match. I think it will be closer than people would expect. But really, outside of those teams, the Knicks could handle just about anyone. You know what they did to Cleveland last year. Orlando is very inexperienced. Miami is falling apart at the seams. And then if one of those play-in teams gets in and somehow works their way up through the standings, are you really concerned about the Hawks or the Nets, sorry, Miles, or the Raptors? <laughs> Probably not. The Knicks have been playing really good basketball, and you'd assume that they're going to get healthy. Julius Randle will be back at some point. Mitchell Robinson could be back at some point. You get everyone working together on the same page with the added benefit of a Jalen Brunson who has been asked to take on more responsibility because of those injuries. That's a scary, scary recipe for the Knicks. Yeah, Colin, I'm right there with you. I'd say there's really only one team that's a good step ahead of the New York Knicks in the East, and that's the Boston Celtics. I mean, you look at their talent, their record, 37-11. and 11. They're the team to beat in the East. There's no question about it. If the Boston Celtics are not the team to come out of the East, they did not live up to their expectations. But outside of that, New York has done everything in their power to become the best team possible amidst the injuries. And absolutely, they're in the top tier of the East. Even a squad like Milwaukee, kind of year one, year two of this new chapter. Of course, with the addition of Doc Rivers at the helm, I don't think that this is the year that Milwaukee is necessarily a deep playoff threat. And for that reason, I'd say you know New York is a team that we could see in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think it's going to be tough for anyone to take down those Celtics. But if anyone has a good chance, it's probably those Knicks. You got to look at it like this for the Knicks in terms of how you want them to finish in their playoff standing. You got to go team by team. The first challenge was beating the 76ers. They did that seamlessly, and then it was taking over for them in the standings. They have done that also pretty seamlessly. Now, Milwaukee and Boston, I think, are their own individual challenge here. You can't jump the gun because if you jump the gun, you go right for Boston, you're not going to beat Milwaukee. We have to keep in mind, this is a team that has played the Milwaukee Bucks, what is it, three or four times this year, and they've only won one game. Milwaukee still has their number despite the dumpster fire of a scene that they had over the last week or so with Doc Rivers coming in, Adrian Griffin immediately getting pulled out. Milwaukee's still 32-15. and 15. That's a tough challenge. I mean, the Knicks are only a game and a half back of that record. However, 
need to see more consistency out of the Knicks against the top tier teams. You took down the 76ers, you took down the Nuggets. Those are great steps. You got dismantled by Boston. I know it was early in the year, but you only have two more opportunities before a potential playoff series. I don't really like the Knicks against the Celtics personally. I like how they match up against the Bucks in a series. So if we're looking at playoff standings, it's got to be how are the Knicks going to jump the Bucks? I don't really see them jumping the Celtics. I think that's the true task. But in order to stay the course, you got to go one team at a time. I think if the Knicks were to play a Celtics in the series, it very much would come down to home court advantage, which the Knicks would not have. In some universe where the Knicks have home court advantage and a game seven would be at Madison Square Garden, you'd have to take the Knicks based on you know the building would be buzzing, you know the place would be going nuts. The same could be said of TD Garden in Boston, though. You don't think that those fans would get up and get excited for a matchup against the Knicks? As far as Milwaukee's concerned, recently hired Doc Rivers. He's back in the NBA coaching. I have my concerns about his ability to lead a championship team in this era. His past track record, his recent track record, has been somewhat concerning. Obviously won the title with Boston in 2008. That was a different time in the NBA's history. I don't know if him... With a special, talented core. (laughs) Without a question. And he has a special core in Lillard, Middleton, and Antetokounmpo, but I don't know if all four of those personalities are going to be able to get on the same page in time from Milwaukee to make a legitimate run. If anything, I think it's going to be quite awkward, given how Griffin departed, given how this has really all gone as January has withered away. So the Knicks are in prime position because they have a blueprint. They have an identity. Thibodeau is loved by those guys, believe it or not. Let me interject for a second about Milwaukee, too. That was 16 years ago, and Doc Rivers has... (laughs) We can debate this, too. Has arguably had better cores than Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. Mm. Rajon Rondo, if you want to put Rondo in there as well. That was a great you know, quad squad, if you want to put it that way. But Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Didn't he have the Lab City Clippers as well? Didn't he have Blake oh, Griffin yeah. and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan? I think he had a version so, of that. Yeah, so they, I would say, aren't uh, they were not as good as that Celtics team debatably the team that he had after them with the Celt- with the clippers i think was better more talented than this boston team and now he's with another really talented group we're t- we're looking at two i would say surefire hall of famers in damian lillard and giannis antetokounmpo and i i'm just out of we'll see 16 years since the last time he won and debatably has had better stars to coach and it hasn't really worked out. I like the hire because it was the most experienced guy out there. I think this is an opportunity for the Knicks to capitalize on, though, absolutely. You could make the argument that some of the Philadelphia teams he coached were oh, more I, talented. Oh, I totally didn't even mention them. Absolutely. More talented than some of the aging Celtics teams because mm-hmm. at a certain point, Allen, Pierce, Garnett were getting older, and it wasn't going to be possible to outduel LeBron, Bosch, and Wade during those Eastern Conference Finals, during those playoff series. But getting back to the Knicks just a little bit here— The trade deadline's nearing. It is knocking on the door just a few days away. There's a lot of people clamoring for some bench scoring because when Emmanuel quickly was traded, you lost that kind of spark plug guy off the bench. Jordan Clarkson is a name that's getting thrown out there. I'm going to throw a name out there because I just read a Sports Illustrated article about it, and I didn't necessarily agree with it off the jump, but I have come to really like it after thinking about it a little bit more. Perhaps Mark is smart may make sense Mm. for the Knicks right now because it doubles down on what they're already good at. They're already a very good defensive team. OG Ananubi made them a great defensive team. 
You get someone like Smart, you get him to buy into coming off the bench. You know he can shoot three. You know he can defend. You know he has some flair to his game. And quite honestly, at times, the Knicks need that flair. Julius Randle is a great all-NBA player, but you cannot rely on him to give you max effort all the time. A, that's not who he is. He'll give you spurts of that, but he's not a all-out guy all of the time in the way that Marcus Smart is. And I look at the Knicks bench. Who on the bench is that? Josh Hart. You compliment him with someone like a Marcus Smart, it changes the dynamic of your second unit. I'm not saying it's a perfect fit. What I do think it does is that it doubles down on what you're already good at, and that could do wonders against teams like Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia that you are not necessarily going to outshoot. I think the question that it brings to me, Colin, is what are you going to give up for a guy like that? Because that's not going to be the difference maker in the playoff series to me personally. Now, we could get into that, but Marcus Smart is the type of guy that adds, of course, attitude, of course, locker room effect, of course, defense. But I don't know if he's the guy that that New York Knicks second unit needs unless they get him at extreme value. I mean, you look at this Knicks team already, right? They've won their last eight games amidst the injuries. I think that front offense is known to be pretty, you know, stagnant at times, might be stagnant once again at this deadline simply because they already got the Ananobi deal done, right? They already might be satisfied with themselves in that sense. And the ceiling is already extremely high. And I think, you know, the only way they make any type of move at the deadline is extreme value. I don't think that they're looking to get rid of any rotational piece at this point. I think that they need to look more towards the facilitating department. And I really like Malcolm Brogdon in this situation. It's not that I dislike Smart in this particular situation. I just think that I like the concept of doubling down on the defense that you're bringing up. Absolutely, Colin. But I think this team needs more of a true point guard on the bench. Not saying that Marcus Smart isn't a true point guard, but he is so heavy defensively, which would as you said, double down on what they're already really good at, the number one team in defensive ratings since acquiring OG Ananobi. But I think that sentence in itself should say, hey, okay, with or without OG Ananobi, we're still really good defensively. But it is so obvious that they need a point guard off that bench. Deuce McBride has been awesome. He's not there there yet. I think playing Deuce at the two behind a Malcolm Brogdon, behind a Jordan Clarkson, would be phenomenal. I'm not really looking for quite the defense that you're probably looking for here, Colin. I, obviously, I want a good defender, but um, I'm more concerned with a guy, with the Knicks acquiring a guy that will be able to facilitate. Obviously, you can't do it quite like Jalen Brunson, but that can administer the game kind of like Brunson does, off the bench, just give me 15 minutes, let him take a breather, give me 15 to 20 minutes per game, just create offense, not be the offense, not be the standout defenseman either, just create the offense because the bench got, has guys that can score. Josh Hart had a triple-double again last night. He could score, but he could do it all too. Get him the ball, get, get somebody that will give the bench guys the ball. And I think what you're tapping into there is the idea that there's multiple ways the Knicks could go about this, and it really comes down to what they are going to prioritize. If they choose to double down on defense, perhaps someone like a smart or another forward would be likely. If they choose to prioritize bench scoring or someone that can facilitate, then someone like a Brogdon or a Clarkson fits that mold. 
It also will boil down to what they're willing to give up. And the Knicks have been very, very careful. And what do they assets. have to give up right now, with especially the kind of injuries? Because I hate to interrupt you there, but the way that their injuries have played out is making this deadline you know, prediction for me very difficult. Because it's like, I would give up a Quentin Grimes for a bench guard. But would I now? Because, I don't know, he eats a lot of minutes at a good rate. So now if you told me you wanted to swap... Grimes and Smart, I do it in a heartbeat. In I, a heartbeat. With, is that going to be what it takes, though? I think I, I think they want more picks. for it. Absolutely. But Memphis is also in a desperate situation at the moment. I mean, you can only imagine how Grizzlies fans feel they want after picks. last year. They want draft picks. Right. And I think the Knicks will likely shell out if they have to for someone to help them off the bench. It's just about not giving up everything. You don't want to give up the kitchen sink because you're still trying to build assets for a bigger fish down the road. So a lot to get to. In terms of the New York Knicks, the trade deadline, the rest of the season, you know the drill. They'll be taking on the Pacers tomorrow at Madison Square Garden. That one will be happening at 7.30. Those Knicks, 31-17, and 17, third place in the Eastern Conference. The Brooklyn Nets, though, not so hot. 11th in the East, 19-27 and 27 on the year. One bright spot, if you can consider it that. Kevin Durant will be returning to the Barclays Center tonight at 8.30, so you'll get some solid basketball in Brooklyn for the first time in a long time. Suns, only three-and-a-half-point favorites in that one. There was this whole tribute video discussion as to whether or not they were going to give KD a tribute video. Oh, my goodness. Give me a break. I'm sorry to be like this, but give me a break. Tribute video. I'm sorry. Keep going. No, it's true. What do you do for the franchise? It's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even play the first year he was here. Yeah. And they did nothing. The whole t- thing that they developed between Harden, Kyrie, and Durant went 13 and 3. Wow. That I whole think... little skirmish. Who and came three. up with the idea? I don't even I feel like it was more of a media media concocted idea than anything. I don't think the Nets were ever legitimately considering a tribute video, unless I'm mistaken. Did they ever I don't think they'd They're ever do that. They're forcing a star. They're th- kind of like how they forced their culture and their big three. Mm. They're forcing Kevin Durant to be this face for them. Mm-hmm. He played there for four years. No. Like, dude. <laughs> you mean fancy jerseys and guys that can't play off the ball wasn't culture? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> that guess, wasn't culture? I don't know, man. Maybe. I thought that was culture. <laughs> I don't know. Nevertheless, the Brooklyn Nets coming <laughs> off of a win against who else? The Utah Jazz. They won 147-114 to 114 just the other day. Really, it was the Mikhail Bridges show in that one. 33 points, 12 of 24 from the field, six made three-pointers. Also worth mentioning, Cam Thomas, not too shabby. Your guy, Miles, 25 mm-hmm. points for him, eight of 16 from the field, four made three-pointers. I look at Brooklyn right now, and they're just a lot of pieces that don't really fit well together is ultimately how I've come to describe them. It's not that anyone on the team is particularly bad. Like, I look at a Nick Claxton, I look at a Cam Johnson, I look at a Cam Thomas or a Spencer Dinwiddie, and I say, on another team, you would be a very valuable asset. As far as how you interact now with your teammates on the court, insofar as the basketball operation is concerned, it's just, it doesn't mesh well together. They're not a cohesive unit, and that's to be expected. That's kind of what this year was going to be for Brooklyn. Well, I think... you have a good point there that there are a lot of you know disconnected pieces, but then of course you look at this most recent victory, 147 points. That doesn't happen for no reason. Like I said, you know this is the same jazz that we discussed with the New York Knicks, right? That this is a pick apartable defense at the end of a road trip, right? So I don't think we should get too high and mighty about 147 points, but 
key piece was this was in the return of Ben Simmons, right? Ben Simmons has 11 assists off the bench. They have a 41 team assist. The only, I think the third time I know for a fact, the third time they've done that since the year 2000. I mean, the ball was moving in a way that we haven't seen. I, th- You know, going into that Jazz game, they lost 17 out of the last 22. There's no doubt that December and January were just horrendous. I mean, before, you know, kind of in October, November, this was a middling team where you said this is going to be a play-in play team. Like, not they have to fight to be a play-in team. They have to underperform to not be a play-in team. But then, obviously, you lose 17 to 22, and – you know, things got more desperate by the day. Of course, Ben Simmons returns, and that's the tad of life that moves the basketball around to 41 assists and 147 points as a team. But, you know, the the only thing that, you know, kind of stresses me out at the moment is, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like something that is sustainable. Obviously, Ben Simmons seems like the kind of guy that can be a difference maker when he's out there. But first, will he stay out there? And second of all, you know, if he does stay out there, is this going to be the consistent type of ball movement they produce? I don't know. For the full stat line on Ben Simmons, 10 points, 8 rebounds, 11 assists. The 11 assists that you mentioned, Miles. He came very close to getting a triple-double. 18 minutes. He basically showed up. Perfect shooting wise too, mm-hmm. and I think that's because he doesn't want to shoot. That's an amazing point. He only shoots if it's a layup or it's a breakaway. Yeah, ask any seventy sixer fan. He doesn't want to take a layup either exactly. in his heart of hearts. No, and you saw it even a couple times in the most recent game against the Jazz. He had open looks. They said no, thank you. Dish it out. He only shot it was genuinely under the basket or it was in a fast break. He never spot up. This is Ben Simmons' offensive possession, not once. It feels like that's been a thing with him in his whole career, though. Even in Philly, even after Timid, the right? good days that he, yeah. uh, even in his good days, the question was: Is he going to take this look, or is he going to pass it? Is he going to be the athletic forward that everyone thought he was at LSU, or is he going to be this kind of timid point guard? Because he could be a good point guard. Ten, eight, and eleven in eighteen minutes is like that's the prospect that he was touted to be exactly at 610 he was supposed to be this magic johnson type point guard he just hasn't now i shift my focus more of he's out again with some knee problem knee discomfort i want to touch on this he late in the game he gets a little banged up and then you can just feel the entire arena the entire media section be like oh my god here we go another yeah Yeah. exactly yeah i think he might play I, I don't know, you know, it's a day-to-day situation as far as I know. Is they just official? downgraded him to questionable 40 minutes ago. Oh, okay, gosh, he was probable yeah. to questionable. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because that's the storyline. I don't think he stays out there for a prolonged period of time, but th- hopefully this doesn't look to be anything serious, at least. We'll see, man. I I, I don't know. I just thought about I saw that, and I was like, there's no way this guy's hurt yeah. again because <laughs> one, game. one game, and he played well. It's just like I look at it, and it's like, damn, what would the Nets get in return for this guy? My main outlook for Ben Simmons is, when is he getting traded from Brooklyn? Because if he could put numbers up like that, the Nets can actually get something for him. But he doesn't play games. So what he's played like what has he even played forty games as a Brooklyn Net yet? I, I wouldn't be able to say that. But I think you're you're I have a good point in that he's an expensive asset that no one really wants to touch at this point. Pretty much, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. what could the Nets get? Probably nothing even at his best, unfortunately. Maybe five years down the road he'll be able to play more than three games in a row without <laughs> breaking apart like porcelain but Lonnie Walker was also very impressive I've been saying for a while he is trade bait for the Nets 19 points against the Jazz four of nine from range there is a lot of teams that will be in playoff contention that would like a Lonnie Walker I look at a Philly 
I look out in the West. I think a reunion with the Lakers makes sense. I even think the Suns would throw something out there for Lonnie Walker. So as far as Brooklyn's concerned, you have all of these pieces, and a lot of them are expendable and can be traded for assets that will help you build something sustainable. I'm glad you bring up Lonnie Walker. I've been a Lonnie Walker fan for quite a long time. I think he's one of those guys where every time he's out on the floor, you just see that he wants it more than a lot of people out there. And he's on a veteran minimum this year, and you wouldn't be able to tell based on what he contributes. I mean, he's been on a minutes restriction lately. I think he's finally getting back to his normal self, but he doesn't even get the looks in the JV rotation that he should. I mean... He's the kind of guy that can really impact a rotation, and he deserves, like he said post game the other night, a forever home, right? He's on a veteran minimum with the Brooklyn Nets, and he's not that kind of veteran minimum player, particularly at his age. I'm excited for him to get kind of that second unit, four or five year deal that he's deserved for quite a long time. I also think, and this will upset Nets fans, it's time. For Spencer Dinwiddie to go. He was not good against Utah, 0 of 5 from the field. It's really continued a part of the season that has been poor for him. I mean, I look at this stat line, it's not surprising. He's had peaks and valleys throughout his entire career as a net, but really this year it's been more of the valleys than the peaks. I think just a change of scenery would help him immensely. I think going backwards in some sense after leaving Dallas and then coming back to Brooklyn both helped and hurt him in some ways, uh, he's someone I would look to move at the trade deadline. It's kind of funny to me how any time that Spencer Dinwiddie needs to be good, he needs to leave Brooklyn. Like <laughs> He was good the first time that he got traded from the Nets, and there wasn't as much turmoil. I see his name in the, in the circulation of things a lot based on things that he's complaining about, him holding out. I heard that allegedly, him just sitting out of games, you know, just very disgruntled well, and unhappy. Just trying, right? Yeah, so, you know, just a lot of disgruntledness and just unhappiness from him. But I think a change of scenery would be good, you know, 12-6-3. and three. That's a solid bench guard or a contending team. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so we'll see what happens, and I, I think you could see a little bit of an explosion in his stats uh, if he finds the right fit. Washington was pretty solid for him. Dallas was pretty solid for him. He wasn't like an all-star by any means, but he was better than what he was in Brooklyn, and especially now in Brooklyn. So maybe another change of scenery for Dinwiddie would do well for him, and the Nets maybe could get something from that trade. Miles, I'll give you the last word on the Brooklyn Nets. What needs to happen ahead of this trade deadline? In my mind... It- what needs to happen is the beginning of the new era is that the, right now they haven't decided on their direction. The Brooklyn Nets cannot, I mean, it's very difficult for them to begin their rebuild, but right now they're not headed anywhere fast. Colin, there was a moment where they looked like a solid eight, nine seed in the East at the moment. I'd say that's their ceiling. And there's really no future, right? There's no path to being anything more than an 8-9 in Brooklyn. So at what point are you going to look at it and say, we need to start the process of being a top-tier team in the East? Because, you know, we talk about Spencer Dinwiddie looking like he's not trying out there. Well, if you know your team has absolutely no chance of being a top-five team in your conference, that's where that attitude starts to set in. And it can't be just... Spencer Dinwiddie, right? That attitude will spread, particularly if you don't decide on a direction. If you are content being a middling, somewhat profitable NBA franchise, Josiah, then this is what's going to happen. What a cheery note. And on that (laughs) cheery note, we will go to an even less cheery note. And for certain New York fans, 
specifically 90s New York fans that watched the Knicks and the Heat battle it out early 2000s as well. This is going to be a great headline to hear for those Knicks fans specifically. It's from The Athletic today. Heat in a dark place amidst longest losing streak since 2008. Can they dig themselves out again? For context, the Miami Heat have struggled mightily this year. Lost to the Phoenix Suns last time out on Monday, 118-105. to The Kevin Durant-led Phoenix Suns. Remember, Durant wanted to go to either Phoenix or Miami. Ended up in Phoenix. The Heat now 24-23 and on the year. And while nobody doubts that this team is going to make the playoffs in some capacity, I think they'll get in either through the play-in or in the actual tournament. This is a bad look because the entire Heat culture lore has been built around this idea that it could look awful up until March and they will turn it around at a moment's notice. It's the entire Pat Riley ideology. And I don't know if that's going to be sustainable from this point out. You look at the East right now, Miami 7th. They're right below Indiana and Philly. And you know who's right behind them? Orlando, who's 24 and 23 themselves. But Orlando is young. They're hungry. They're ready to win. Benchero is no scrub. And yes, he have Jimmy Butler and all these other guys that when playing well can do damage. But they've lost something, right? Udonis Haslam, not around. You're not getting that type of culture that they once had. You traded away Kyle Lowry. Terry Rozier came in. Rozier's a different type of player. He's not that Kyle Lowry mold. You can say what you want about Lowry's actual performance, but from a veteran perspective, Rozier's a little bit different. So a lot of reasons to be concerned if you're a Miami Heat fan, Will. And I like how you mentioned the ideology, the Pat Riley, uh, right, Pat Riley ideology, so much so that they had to throw it on their jerseys. But uh, <laughs> that could be their curse in a way. I didn't know that this is their longest losing streak since 2008. That's very impressive mm-hmm. to me. That just shows how good Spolster is as a coach as well. The fact that he's had so many different teams and he's brought different teams. Keep in mind, that 2020 team was a lot different than the team that went to the finals this year as well. And he brought two different teams aside from the LeBron. Uh, what am I saying? He brought four different types of teams to the finals and won multiple championships. So the fact that this is the longest streak since before, since I would say the middle gap between D Wade and Shaq to D Wade and Braun. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy to me. But overall, yeah, this is a scary spot to be if you're the Heat because if you got a Kevin Durant instead of the Suns when you had the opportunity, I think we're having a whole different conversation here. They definitely look like they've lost a step. Jimmy Butler has gotten a year older and uh when it's time, he'll turn it up absolutely. I I have no doubt in my mind, but it's a it's a in terms of okay, when it's not time to turn up, are we still going to make it through? Yeah, I mean, when I look at this Miami Heat team, it is seven games in a row, but the first thing that comes to mind is don't fret, right? Because we look at the date, right? January 31st. We're on the final day of January. We're not in March, right? We're not in April. I think that the Miami Heat ethos is built on role players overperforming at the right time. Right. Avery Bradley, common example. Had to throw that out there. (laughs) And, you know, Miami's still 24 and 23 atop the Southeast. I think, you know, there's a lot of games that Miami's going to play down the stretch against bad Southeast teams. That's a weak conference, objectively speaking. A weak division, pardon me. You know, down the stretch, I see Miami as Jimmy Butler gets healthier. They turn things around. Jaime Jaquez turns back to being that rookie of the year candidate. And they still are a playoff team, 
I think that there's no doubt that their cast of role players won't be nearly as good as previous years, but I don't think it's time to overreact in Miami. Do you know what this is? This is like when Tom Brady left the Patriots. And in the years after, the entire argument was that culture would win out. Now, it's a little different because the Miami Heat still have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and Hakez Jr., as you mentioned, who are very good in their own right. But the entire idea that you're going to find players from the bargain bin, so to speak, and still compete at a championship level is a myth. It doesn't happen. The entire idea of Dave culture, <laughs> it's a myth. It doesn't exist. The Pat Riley ideology of being this tough upstate New York guy is rooted in the idea that he got the most out of great players. It wasn't like the Lakers were filled with scrubs. He had Magic Johnson and James Worthy. If you push those guys to a certain extent with culture, you're going to have championship success. Look at the Knicks. You had Patrick Ewing, Anthony Mason. You didn't think those teams would be able to compete? This is not the same thing with Miami. It frustrates me to no end when I hear Heat fans say, oh, the regular season doesn't matter. Yes, it does. A lot of those Knicks teams were successful because they had home court advantage in the playoffs. They were able to perform in those situations. The Lakers, specifically in the 80s, when they had home court against the Boston Celtics, were more effective. You could ask any Laker from that 85 team. They didn't want to play in Boston Garden. The regular season does matter insofar as your ability to get a proper seating and to come together as a team. Now, Miami has gone through injuries roster changes. They've tried to reconstruct things different ways. But the entire idea that you're going to build through the bargain bin forever, and it's always going to work, is nonsense. It doesn't work like that. I will say, though, the Heat fans, you know, standings in all sports matter. Winning games is what matters. At the end of the day, winning is what matters. I will say, though, they went from a one seed to an eight seed and made the finals as an eight seed. So, I would go out on a limb and say, I'm not too, like, panicky about the Heat right now. They're 500. They can still make moves before the deadline. And who knows? If they get hot at the right time, they got hot at the right time last year. They went all the way to the finals because they got hot at the right time. Obviously, it's a 50-50 shot. You either get hot or you don't. So I would say, yeah, standings do matter. However, for a team like the Heat, if they could find a way to get it together with the remaining schedule, because there's plenty of time to do that, it, it, I would say in like three weeks, if they're not getting it together, maybe a month, then it's a, di- a little bit of a different story. But if they could just piece it piece it together, get out of this funk within the next three weeks, I don't know, man. If they can get in, they can get in. They got in last year as an eight seed and went all the way to game six of the finals. And a key part of this for Miami is the fact that Jimmy Butler also hasn't really been himself, right? He had the toe issue. He's back now, but I don't think he's been that tier one Jimmy Butler that we've seen in previous years, particularly that Butler Jimmy, uh, excuse me, bubble Jimmy Butler. But, you know, we've seen moments where Jimmy Butler is that tier one superstar. He hasn't been it this year. I think the Miami ethos is role players overperforming and a solid one-two punch in Bam and Butler. And that's kind of fallen apart on both halves in that that's not been an extremely dominant one-two punch, partially because of injuries. And also the, the role players have not come through this year, although it is the final day of January. Give them till April, Colin. Listen, I know better than to ever write off the Miami Heat, but at this given moment, they are not the same team, and the culture is wearing thin in South Beach. Over their next couple of games alone, they'll have to play the Kings, the Clippers, the Magic. If you want to speed up a little bit, they have back-to-back against the Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. It's going to take a whole hell of a lot of culture 
to get through that schedule. And with that note, that's going to do it for this edition of Pick and Pod. For Will Talent and Miles Grossman, I'm Colin Loughran saying so long from the Bronx. Thank you.